All right, well, if you have a Bible, I encourage you to grab it and make your way to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 23 that uh, Chad was just reading from. He read, um, like I asked him to do a little bit longer, we're going to look at verse 23 in particular. Uh, but while you're getting there, I want to say, uh, again, happy Mother's Day to everyone. I especially want to say happy, birth, happy Mother's Day to my bride and to my mom, who's probably watching uh, online. Um, I've often said that there is nothing that reminds me more of my ongoing need of grace than parenting. Nothing that reminds me more of my ongoing need of grace than parenting. We need heaping amounts of grace as we seek to raise kids to worship and enjoy God and lead others to do the same. But we also need faith. I mean, just as we are called to live by faith and not by sight, we must parent by faith and not necessarily by sight. And specifically, as it's Mother's Day, mothers, this is your call to mother by faith. Mothering in the faith that God will give the grace that you need. Mothering in the faith that God will keep His promises. Mothering in the faith that like those promises, they don't just quit with, with, with you. They don't, they don't go on down to your kids. That's like you need to not... Like, here we go. Sometimes we think that, yes, I have faith that God will provide for my needs, but then when it comes to my kids, I need to provide for them... I need to control all that, have the control. I have to figure that out. Yes, I trust God for me, but do I actually trust God for them or do I trust me for them? Am I a Calvinist when it comes to me? God's got me. And then an Arminian when it comes to my kids. Oh man, I better do everything just right or I'm going to mess my kids up. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to just encourage all the moms in here that, yes, you have a job. It's important. But God loves your kids more than you do. And you can trust him. And so trust him. Okay, yes, yes, we have a job. And God is sovereign. Those two things work together in mothering by faith. And so today's not just going to be for moms. It's for every single person in here because what is true of mothering by faith is also true of going to work by faith, of going to school by faith, of growing old by faith, of just living by faith. And so what we're going to do is this. A couple weeks ago, we were in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, let's see if I taught you anything. What is that chapter called? I, I, you, you mouthed it, say it loud. The Hall of Faith. It's the hall of faith. And so we talked about Abraham. We talked about Moses. We talked about all the people that are in there. But we breezed really fast past verse 23, which talks about the faith of Moses' parents. And so I want to look at that verse again, and then we're going to double-click on it and go to Exodus 2, which is what it's referring to. All right? And so look with me. Hebrews chapter 12, verse... Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23... And then we'll flip over to Exodus chapter 2. By faith, 
Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. And so, note, this is not Moses' faith, right? It says, by faith, Moses. But the faith here is his parents' faith. They're the ones who, by faith, hid him. Okay, and they had to hide him because, at this time, the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, and Pharaoh afraid of an uprising because the Hebrews were becoming so numerous, made a law that all baby boys had to be terminated. That if you heard a baby boy, you could go into the house, rip him out of his parents' arms, and throw him into the Nile River. That's what the law was. And so, verse 23 again, by faith... Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And so again, the parents did this, okay? They parented by faith. But you're about to see why the title of this sermon is Mothering by Faith and not just Parenting by Faith. And so go to Exodus chapter 2. Way back to the left... Second book of the Bible, Genesis, then Exodus. Exodus chapter 2, actually written by Moses. It will be on the screens as well. Here's what it says. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son... And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister, probably Miriam, stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him. This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses. Because she said, I drew him out of the water. And so Moses' mom, Jacobed, is the one who gets all the press in these ten verses for how she mothered by faith. And there's four insights in here I want to give you about mothering by faith, okay? Insights. I'm not, this isn't an exposition. These are just insights we can see in this text. And the first one's going to be this. By faith... See the image of God in your child. Okay, number one, if you want to take notes. By faith, 
see the image of God in your child. I think this is what it means when, with that statement, you know, verse 2, when she saw that he was a fine child, or in Hebrews eleven twenty three that he was beautiful. It's a weird, like, uh, way that the words come together. In Hebrews, it's the only time that that word is ever even used. It's just a very odd phrasing, and it seems to suggest that Jacobed sees something special about the child. But then again, what mom doesn't see something special about their child, right? I mean, every mom thinks that their child is beautiful. Not every great-grandma, though. True story. First time my dad's grandma... I love telling this story because it's about my older brother. First time she ever held him, she told my mom, quote, well, he sure is sweet, but he ain't very pretty. <laughs> my mom about died, but for me, man, I love this story. Tell it all the time I can. But back to the, back to the point here, moms, you need to understand that that cute little baby or that little toddler that's wearing you out, that elementary kid that you are so worried about, that teenager, that college student, they are made in the image of God. And as you raise them, you need to remember, therefore, you are doing kingdom work in the ordinary means of baby spit up, making lunches, helping with homework, being a shoulder to cry on because you are raising a representative of God in the world. See, false gods have statues to represent them. God made people to represent Him in His world. And so as you raise your kids by faith, see beyond the cuteness of your child and see the image of God in your child and let that inform and perhaps transform the way you raise them because you are raising them not first and foremost to achieve the American dream. You are raising them first and foremost to represent the king. That's what you're doing. Or that's what we should be doing. And that's what, by God's grace, we can do. And so as you mother by faith, see the image of God in your child. But then secondly, mothering by faith means this. You obey God over man. And so number two in your notes, by faith, obey God over man. Now, Romans 13 is clear. We're called to obey the government, okay? But where there's a direct conflict between God and the government, or just God and culture, God and people, you obey God. And again, direct conflict, not some socio-political opinion you have and you try to justify as, oh, I'm obeying God, not the government. No, 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 we're talking biblical, straight line, crystal clear, no doubt about it, like Harriet Tubman in the Underground Railroad. That was a good time to disobey the government. Because race-based chattel slavery was legal when it's clearly condemned in Scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 1. And so in cases like that, yes, obey God over man, and that's exactly what Jacobed did here with this unjust law. She hid her baby. She obeyed God over man. Hebrews eleven twenty-three again. By faith, Moses, when he was born, 
was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. She obeyed God over man. Now, you and me may not have to obey God over man in the sense that someone's going to walk into our house, grab our baby, and pitch him into the river. But you are daily going to have to obey God over man in terms of culture, in terms of sexuality, and homosexuality as well as all forms of sexuality outside of marriage is sin. Culture is not going to teach that. You will have to obey God over man as it relates to gender, that God created male and female on purpose by his good design. These are binary. Right? We should follow the science, XX and XY. But of all of that, you're going to have to obey God over man as it relates to the gospel. Those things flow out of the gospel. But the God, that we are sinners, that we are separated from God. And there's nothing we can do to save us, but God sent Jesus into the world so that we could have everlasting life in heaven and not hell. We, we, we have to teach these things. We have to help our children understand that we are outsiders. We are outsiders. We are not like the world. And then as Christians, we're not even bound into tribes that the world tries to put us in, right? The world tries to say we're a voting block. No, 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 no. We're umpires who call balls and strikes. Or if we change the basketball, who call fouls of anybody. We don't have a tribe. Our tribe is the church. Our tribe is the Lord. Not earthly tribes. And so whatever comes when it is a foul of God's word, we obey God over man. Whether that's the government, the culture, or the tribe we might think we're in. But I want you to notice something about Jacobet here. She didn't make some big, elaborate, self-promoting, viral show about the whole thing. Right? She didn't go out and try to just do something big for God either, which might actually be big for the person trying to do something big for God. No, she was just committed to the day in, day out of just doing the next right thing, obeying God. And through her, Israel was delivered from slavery. So, whoa, 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 Joe, no, no, no. Moses, Moses delivered Israel from slavery. Yeah, but without his mama's bravery to refuse to obey Pharaoh, there would be no Moses. Before Moses could deliver and protect Israel, he had to be delivered and protected by his mama. And so I want everybody just to note this simple little thing. God often accomplishes the extraordinary through the ordinary. There would be no Moses if she had not just raised her son. And so some of you moms in here, you might think, well, I used to like serve and make a difference for, for God, but now all I do is raise the kids and maybe I can serve and make a difference for God again someday, 20 years from now. Right now, I'm just trying to survive. Let this first, these first 10 verses in Exodus 2 be an encouragement to your soul. 
Because the greatest act of redemption in the Old Testament, okay? The one that points straight to Jesus, the exodus. The whole thing at this point hinges on a mom simply taking care of her son. Again, you are doing kingdom work. And as the theme of Hebrews has been, keep going. Keep going. Jesus is better. His call on your life is better. Okay, obey God over man. And for those of you who may be a stay-at-home mom, when the world looks at you and says, well, what's your real job? After they get off, off the ground from your throat punch... <laughs> You can tell them, changing the world, what about you? Because the poet's right. The hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. You are doing kingdom work. Keep at it. Obey God over man. Okay, that's mothering by faith. <clears throat> You'll look weird. Obeying God over man. But that's fine. This world's not our home. Closely connected to obeying God over man, as you seek to mother by faith, or for non-moms like me, live by faith, because all this applies. Number three in your notes, do your part and trust the providence of God. Okay? By faith, number three, do your part and trust the providence of God. Because like I said at the beginning, you, you, you do have a job. Okay, there are things we need to do, and yet God is sovereign and good, and we can trust Him. And we're called to both of these. To, by faith, do our part, and trust the providence of God. And so again, just thinking of Jochebed here, okay, enter into this story. Like it would be a challenge, but I can imagine that for three months you might be able to hide a baby. Like whenever the baby starts to make a cry, nurse him real quick, get him milk drunk, and he'll pass out. And he'll stay asleep, right? But then as the baby gets older, you know that sweet little baby cry? By three months, it's a Sasquatch. <laughs> right? It's loud. It will wake anyone up, and anyone will hear that. And so what are they going to do if they do nothing and, you know, uh, someone hears him, he'll be thrown into the Nile River with no, fo no, no hope. And so by faith, his parents build a miniature-sized ark for him. Like literally, that's the word in Hebrew. It's the same word as Noah's ark. That's what they build. And so both Noah and Moses pass through deadly waters by riding in an ark, the vessel of salvation. And so it's a tiny ark. She seals it from the outside. She puts it in the river, play, praying like crazy. <sighs> Pushes him out. We'll look at it again. Look at verse 3. When she could hide him no longer, he's loud, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. And she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. Now there's crocodiles. You ever seen Discovery Channel? Nile crocodiles? They're ginormous. And they eat things, obviously. 
She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother, and Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, every time I read this, I can't help but think, man, they set this whole thing up. It was, it was this great plan that they, that they made. Hey, we'll stick him in this little ark. We'll float him down the river right when Pharaoh's daughter is going to come out and take her bath. Miriam, your job, walk along the riverbank, keep an eye on him. And if they find Moses and things go the way that we hope that they'll go, you run up to her and say, oh, ma'am, I'm sorry to bother you, but would you like someone to nurse this child for you maybe? Oh, that would be great. Can, can you go find someone? Absolutely. Anything for you, princess. Right? I mean, it, it could have all just happened. God does work in mysterious ways. His providence is miraculous. But he also works through individuals. And so maybe it just happened and then Miriam, like on the spot, thought of, ooh, I'll get mom to come nurse. Or... Maybe the family huddled and decided this is our best, our only chance. Let's do it and God will do what he's going to do. Let's go for it. But either way, I think there's great faith, whether it was they planned it or it just happened, because Jochebed is fully confident that something's going to work out because she sends Miriam. Well, you're not going to send your six-year-old if you're expecting them to grab the child and slit its throat or a crocodile to come get it. She knows, she's like, I want you to go see. She's confident. And lo and behold, in the providence of God, it worked. God works in his creation with two hands. One's the very visible hand of miracles. Right? Moses is going to grow up and he's going to have a conversation with a burning bush. He's going to divide the waters. Ten plagues, are before the waters are divided, ten plagues are going to come upon Israel. The visible hand of God is miraculous. And it's obvious. But God also works, and does so most of the time, through His invisible hand of providence. And what we find here in Exodus chapter 2 is a story laced with the providence of God. Just the silent sovereignty of God moving behind the scenes. Because I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but God hasn't even been mentioned in these ten verses. Not once. But His fingerprints are everywhere. The silent sovereignty of God. And so struggling, worrying, tired, anxious mom, let that be a warm blanket to you. Even when you can't see or don't understand, God's goodness and sovereignty is still flowing in your life and your child's life. Be encouraged this morning. 
I mean, Jochebed has no idea that like, Pharaoh is going to wind up being the deliverer. She doesn't know that right now. She's just trying to simply do her part and trust God with the rest. And moms, that's your calling. You do have things you need to do. Chiefly, point your child to Jesus. Okay, that's numero uno. And so check your life and check your schedule and make sure that schedule reflects numero uno. So you do have things to do, but understand this, it's not all on you. It's not all on you. Like it's not all on you to get their education just right, their socialization just right, their physical activity just right, their spiritual nourishment just right, their mental health just right, their emotional well-being just right. It's, it's not on you to get all these things just right or else you're going to ruin your child. Moms, don't live as a functional atheist. That's functional atheism. If I don't get it just right, then I'm going to ruin my child. God exists. And He's not silent. And He's not malevolent. He's good. And He loves you. And He loves your child. It's not completely on... You have a job, yes. But it's not all on you. You're not alone. God is glorious magnificent, He's gracious and merciful, abounding in loving kindness. Don't live as a functional atheist thinking it all rides on you. Do your part. Yes. Do your best. And then trust God. He's a lot bigger than you. He's a lot better than you. He gives grace pressed down, pouring over to our efforts. And so don't live with anxiety. Don't live with regret. Am I doing enough? Did I do enough? Friends, do the best you can with what you've got and trust God. He's good and He's there. And He loves you and He loves your kids more than you do. Do your part. Trust the providence of God. And so, moms, what this means for you is breathe. Now, let's do a little exercise. Let's breathe. It's not all on you. It's not all on you. Do your part and trust God with the rest. This is what it means to mother by faith. You can't control it. Do your part and trust God. It also means this, number four. <clears throat> Mothering is a life of suffering and rejoicing. And so number four in your notes, by faith, suffer and rejoice. By faith, suffer and rejoice. Again, th- this is part of what mothering is. And Jacobid knew this very well. Think about it. I mean... Y- can you imagine the immediate rejoicing that she has when Miriam runs home and says, Mom, it worked. It, 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 it worked. Or she came home screaming, Mom, you're not going to believe what just happened, what I did. Oh, my birthday's going to be really good this year. I convinced them to let the baby come home and you 
can nurse him and raise him. Back then, they probably nursed for three or four years. So the formative years, he was home hearing about God. And the princess is going to pay you on top of all this, mom. Like, can you imagine the rejoicing? She'd set him off in the river and then she gets him back. This news and everything. The rejoicing she had. But then soon after that, Jacob had had to be visited by the thought. But I'm going to have to go through this all over again in a few years. I'm going to have to give him back. And so don't miss the sorrow of verse 10. Handing him over again. But dear friends, hear me well. Sometimes the bravest thing that a mom can ever do for her child is let go and entrust them to God who loves them more than you do. And we do that in a million different ways, don't we? The first day of kindergarten. Scary. The first time they ride their bike to Sonic. That's personal, that one terrified me. Because they had to cross a road. The first time you hand them the keys and they drive off. And you're trusting them to God. The day you pack them up for college. And you put on like it's awesome. And then you go inside and cry your eyes out. That's coming for me in a year. But parents, that's our call. Our kids are little arrows and they're not meant to stay in the quiver forever. We are called to launch them and let them fly, begging God to guide their flight. But we have to launch them. That's our call. And it's mixed with suffering and rejoicing. The whole way. I mean, think about it. Moms, you rejoiced over pregnancy and then you suffered with morning sickness. You rejoiced over birth or adoption, but you suffered with pain to get there. You rejoice over little babies and feeding them, but you suffer with sleeplessness. Sleeplessness. And then come the terrible twos and what I call the I need therapy threes. <laughs> the threes were way worse for us than the twos. But that's more suffering, that's more rejoicing. The elementary years, they bring new suffering and rejoicing. Middle school, high school, college, out on their own, suffering and rejoicing continues. This is motherhood. And it's beautiful. But it's hard. It's suffering and rejoicing. It's serving and loving. It's doing your best and trusting God. This is mothering by faith. It's all this. And so let me close with this. I just want to talk to kids. And that doesn't just mean uh, little kids. That, like, I'm a kid. Okay? It, as you think about your mom whether she's here or not. Kids, you have no idea how much your mom suffered 
and served you. She suffered in things you don't know about. And prayer for you, labored, burdened prayer. She suffered in so many ways for you, mostly unseen, unknown, you have no idea about. Thank you, Mom. And then kids, every time you suffered, every fall, every scrape, every disappointment, every heartbreak that you ever had, she felt every single one of those. And she may have been strong in your presence, but she felt them. She longed to take all that away. When she hurt, or when you hurt, she hurt. And you have no idea. You also have no idea how much she rejoices over you and with you. And not primarily because of things you might do or achieve, but just because you're you. And she loves you and rejoices over you. Just you. Glorious, imperfect, amazing you. Know this, children. Know this about your mom. Know how blessed you are. Moms, just keep on keeping on. You're doing great. You're raising representatives of God. And it's hard at times, yeah. So obey God over man. And do the best you can. Trust God. And it's going to be mixed with suffering and rejoicing. But just keep on keeping on. Mothering by faith, not by sight. We're lucky to have you moms in our presence. We are better, all of us, for every single one of you. Happy Mother's Day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for moms. We thank you for every mom in here. We thank you for those who are spiritual moms and mentor moms and poor into kids in the church, whatever age those kids may be, even adults. But they guide and they love and they lead. And so, Father, we praise you and we thank you. Father, we pray that you would help us to obey you in honoring our moms. Not because Hallmark wants to make money off cards, but because it's in your word. Moms are a good gift. Her children raise up and call her blessed. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise. That the days of your life may be long. And Father, I pray beyond that, that you would just encourage moms this morning. That you would just lift their souls. That they would know that, yeah, they got a job to do, but you're there. You're not absent. 
you exist and you're at work with love and care and you will lift them you are the lifter of their heads you are the shield about them you are a strong tower that they can run to in their own lives but then those exact same things are true of their children And so cause their hearts to exult in your glory and in your goodness. For who you are and what you do. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.